It is a great privilege for us to welcome Franz Grenier. And I know that there are those of you that are joining us this evening in our evening service specifically for that. And so I'd like to welcome you up, Franz. Um, he's our guest speaker tonight. Franz is the producer of movies like Faith Like Potatoes and Hansi, just to mention a few. And he'll be preaching um, on his testimony tonight in the backdrop of his new movie called The Raw. And we are really looking forward to hear what he has to say. And would you stretch your hands as we pray for him and then hand the mic over to France. Father God, thank you for France. Thank you for his life. And thank you that it matters and that tonight you've got a word for us through him. I pray, Father, that the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart would be pleasing in your sight tonight. And I pray that as he preaches, Father, that that which you have purposed for um, the words to land in our hearts would not return back to you void, but that they would go and fulfill their purposes in our hearts that you've ordained them for. Help him, Father, to enjoy himself as he preaches. But I pray, Lord, that we would catch the seriousness and the heart of you behind his word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody. It's wonderful to be up here. Um, we finally had some rain in Cape Town, but continue to pray. Yeah, yeah. So you can even give me a hug afterwards. I showered okay, so, yeah, before I came up to Pretoria. So it's wonderful to be here. Um, tonight, I'd like to share a few of my own stories, specifically around purpose. Um, we prayed about our next movie about two years ago, what movie will we make next, and we actually came up with a campaign that we call the Purpose Campaign, so if you want more details, you can go online, look at thepurposecampaign.com, and we made a movie called The Roar, and the movie is all about purpose, and I'll talk a little bit about that throughout the evening tonight. Um, but I believe this year for us is a year of purpose. So everywhere I go, I've been sharing with people, encouraging people to find out what their purpose is. Now, it's a very broad topic, and you won't discover your purpose tonight. Not easily, maybe you do, but I think it's more of a process. And hopefully, if you um, haven't really thought about it, tonight will be the spark. If you've been thinking about it, hopefully tonight will help you along. And if you already know your purpose and you got lost along the way, I hope tonight is an encouragement. And if you really are walking your purpose, then keep going. Okay, so for all of the above, tonight will hopefully be relevant. Um, obviously, in one short session like tonight, I've got to choose a, a short snippet from my life that I want to speak about. And, and tonight, I'd like to go back 16 years in history um, on the 1st of June, 2002. Now, today is the 3rd of June. So it's 16 years and two days. But just as an introduction, because there are many younger people here who might not have known, um, my brother was a guy by the name of Hansi Kronier. He played cricket for South Africa. I think you do know the sport of cricket. Um, he was the captain of South Africa, became world famous, and then um, made a terrible mistake by accepting money from Indian bookmakers, was banned for life from the sport of cricket, um, and it was a really tough situation for him and us as a family um, from the year 99 through to 2002. Um, but just as a background to that, wanted to share that quickly with you and then take you back to the 1st of June 2002. It was a cold, rainy day in Cape Town, kind of similar to what it was yesterday. It was a Saturday, and it was really cold, about 7 o'clock in the morning, my cousin phoned me from Pretoria, back then when they used to win the 
curry cup and sort of rugby things used to it. Um, and, uh, but she, she phoned me and she said, Franz, you've got to pray. Hansi's plane have gone missing. And I said, well, I wasn't even aware that he was on a plane. At that stage, he was busy building, rebuilding his life. After really struggling with depression, he, he really struggled to just get out of bed for about six months because of this mistake he made, kind of lost all of everything that he built a life for in one day. Um, and this was now two years later, and he was actually looking pretty good. I saw him here in Pretoria two weeks prior to that. And, and I said, well, you know, my brother, you know, he can get himself in trouble. He'll get himself out. And we continued to pray. An hour later, we didn't hear anything. So I eventually got a bit worried, and I said to my wife, at that stage, we lived in Stellenbosch, just outside Cape Town. And I said to my wife, I can't sit here. I've got to actually drive through to George, where Hansi and his wife lived at that stage at Fancourt, because Hansi had got a job in Pretoria, and he had been working up here for six months already, and then would fly home over weekends to be with Bertha. And she had just planned to move up to Pretoria a few weeks later. Um, so he was meant to fly down to, to George, and the weather was so bad that the plane went into land, the visibility was zero, they couldn't land properly, they turned around, and then the plane got missing. No one knew where the plane was. So I started driving in my bucky, diesel bucky. It couldn't go too fast, but I was driving as fast as I possibly could. And as I started driving, and I left my wife and two children who were still very small at that stage at home, because um, I wanted to be with Bertha in case something really bad happened with Hansi. I wanted to be there for her. In case Hansi was injured, I wanted to be there. And as I started driving, the, the phone started ringing. And I picked up the phone and I, I spoke. The first phone call came, came from a, a, a newspaper reporter. His words literally was, I hear your brother is dead. What have you got to say about it? And I flipped. I mean, I spoke in Greek, French, whatever. And I really felt bad about it as I put the phone down. When the second reporter called, I was a lot more courteous. But one of our good school friends, a guy named Alan Donald, he also played cricket. He called me from England, wanted to know what's happening. Sean Pollock phoned, Indian press phoned, Australian press phoned. And I was driving. And at the same time as all these people were calling, I would phone Bertha with updates. Because at that stage, I was in contact with the airline to find out what's happening. It was a cargo plane, so it was only Hansi and the two pilots. And, and I was in contact relaying the news to Bertha, Hansi's wife, and George. My dad was on a hunting trip in the Karoo. My mother was at home in Bloemfontein. My sister lives in Poch, and my wife was in Stellenbosch. I kept on speaking to everybody. No hands-free kit. I was just speaking on the phone illegally, but I was, it was an emergency. And as I was driving, about two hours into the trip, halfway between Cape Town, and George is a small um, place by the name of Biffeljachs. There's a BP garage next to the N2. Gavin Branson from the car cargo airline called and he said, Franz, I've got bad news. A helicopter found the plane high up on the mountain. They managed to get down to the wreckage. No one survived. Your brother and both pilots are dead. Would you mind calling your family? It was the toughest phone calls I ever had to make. I called my mother and... As I called her, two minutes before that, someone actually called her and said to her, the plane landed, Hansi is safe. Her words were literally, Maysian, Maysian. It was just terrible. I phoned my wife, I phoned my dad, 
And then I phoned Bertha, and I, I just could only get the words out, Bertha, I'm sorry. And I pulled up at the garage. I was crying so much I couldn't drive anymore. It was the saddest day in my life, but it was also one of the most defining days. Um, before I tell you what the most defining part of it was, I'd like to play you three people actually on that day wrote songs about Hansi. So this is the one song. Just have a look at this, and then I'll tell you about the defining part. Can you play that for us? Definitely the saddest day in my life. It, it really was just so difficult having to call my family as well. I washed my face, I bought a Coke, got in the car, and I started driving again. And then my cell phone's battery was flat. So I couldn't phone anyone anymore. It was just me sitting in the bucky, driving. 
and then the most defining thing happened in my life to date. It felt like Jesus was sitting next to me in the bucky. I actually made place for I wanted to move the stuff to make place for him to sit there. And I started speaking to him, and I don't know whether you've kind of had a similar conversation with God. And I started it like this by saying, Lord, I'm not rebellious at all, but I would have done it a little bit differently. <laughs> you know, Hansi had gone through such a tough time. It was two years since he was banned for life. He struggled for, actually it wasn't six months, he struggled for 18 months with depression and trying to get through it. The last six months he started rebuilding his life. He actually looked fine again. Two weeks previously to that, when I saw him, his smile was back. We walked into a restaurant here in Pretoria, and for the first time, he actually walked in as though he had confidence again, not scared that anyone would say something or hit him over the head or something. And so many people sent us messages from all over the world, not just from South Africa, with prophecies or with words saying, God is going to use him like this now in ministry, and God is going to use him like that. And you know what? They were all completely wrong. And I heard Jesus speak back to me. He said, do you know what? It's not for you to know what's going to happen tomorrow. But seek first my kingdom today. And I will give you everything that you need for tomorrow. Only be concerned with today and seek my face today. And I said, yes, Lord. And he said, and the second thing. And I said, yes, Lord. And he said, you're burnt out. You're tired. And it's your own fault was my own fault. I'm, so, I'm a dreamer, but I'm sober enough to know when I'm wrong. And what had happened was, this was 2002, the 1st of June. In 1999, God called me to go and work at a sports ministry in Stellenbosch. At that stage in 99, I was the head coach of the Natal cricket site, the Natal Dolphins. Had a really good job, sponsor, uh, sponsored cell phone, Nokia 9290, Nokia 2210i. It had a pull-out antenna. <laughs> it was very fancy. Your, you young people won't understand that. It's only us with gray hair that will know that one. It weighed about two kilograms. And um, while I was coaching towards the end of my two-year contract, I suddenly woke up on a Tuesday morning and I had no more passion left for cricket. None whatsoever. And I had to figure out what is what has God got in store for Franz Kronier? What is my purpose in life? And I knew then it wasn't cricket. It was something more. And this was now three years later. And during those three years, God had called me to go and work at a sports ministry in Stellenbosch. I didn't understand why the sports ministry. Because back in 99, when I was searching for what was it that God wanted me to do, I started getting excited about telling stories because I was born again in 96, three years, three years prior to that. And I got a lot of opportunity to speak at churches and at schools and at functions. And I realized when, when I told stories, people were inspired and they were encouraged. And I, and I started trying to figure out who am I. And um, I realized I'm not a pastor. I realized I'm not an evangelist. Um, and I, someone even enrolled me in the general election for the ACDP. And I realized I'm not a politician either, thankfully, because I would have killed someone if I had to sit there. And then I realized, but I'm actually a storyteller. And at the same time, someone at church 
gave me a book called Faith Like Potatoes, the story of Angus Buck and his biography. And I read the book, and after a few chapters, I was so inspired. I called Angus, I met with him and his wife on the farm, and a few weeks later, actually a few months later, because you know as guys, we read slowly, okay? So it took me a while to finish the book, okay? Don't laugh. And I'm from the free state, we read even slower. Okay? <laughs> but I do wear shoes these days, okay? So, where was I? Okay, so we f I finished the book. While we flew from Durban to Cape Town to play cricket against Western Province at Newlands, and as we landed on the tarmac there and the southeaster was blowing and I steadied myself, pulled out the aerial of my 2210 eye because I just finished reading the book and it touched me so much that I would cry every time I would read and then I'd look outside and a guy called Andrew Hudson who also played for South Africa was sitting next to me and I thought, like, yeah, I had this, it's a nice day and then I'd read a little bit, cry again, look out the window and and then I called Angus and I asked him permission if we could make a movie about, the, about his story in 99. And he called me at 6 a.m. the next morning because he's a farmer. He gets up early. He didn't realize cricketers sleep late. But I had my phone on and he said, yes, but I give you permission. You can make the movie. 1999. And I knew, okay, yes, now I've got my purpose. I'm going to make movies. But then as I got excited about that, knowing that's what God wants me to do, he called me to go work at a sports ministry in Cape Town. I don't like Cape Townians, but he's calling me there. So now I, I just tell the Cape Townians I'm a missionary in Cape Town, okay? Like, <laughs> like, like, the, like the, um, Kewen says, he's a missionary in Pretoria. I'm a, I'm a missionary in Cape Town. But I knew I had to be obedient to go and work at the sports ministry, not knowing why, because I had this burning desire to make movies. And I went down, and three years later, on the 1st of June, now I'm driving in this car. And God speaks to me, and He says to me, you're burnt out, and you're tired. Because I called you to do one thing, to go work at that sports ministry. But you're getting involved in everything. I was helping with men who's sleeping on the street, and alcoholics, and on Graham Powers' committee that organized the day of prayer, and all sorts of things. And, I'm, and my kids were born, and I'm tired. And God says to me, just do the one thing that I called you to do, and it will be well with your soul. And I knew then when God spoke to me about that one thing, that my season, those three years, the season at that sports ministry was over, and God was releasing me into my life calling, and that's telling stories that inspire people. I can now begin to make movies. And I, I, when I eventually got to George, the next day I, I called in and I resigned from that job in Stellenbosch, and that's the day I started making movies. And, it's, and it took me, that was three years down the line from when I asked Angus permission to make Faith Like Potatoes, and it took us four more years before we could eventually make the movie Faith Like Potatoes. Um, and my background is, I played sport all my life. I played hooker for the Free State in Rugby, um, only team we never won against were the Bulls. But oh, man, it's just like we once we once were leading by three points at Loftus, and uh, uh, sorry, trailing behind by three points at Loftus. And our wing, Lawrence Prinsler, got over the try line, and instead of just diving and scoring the try, he tried to get closer to the poles and he lost the ball. That was the closest we ever got. Okay, but we won against all the other teams. Um, but then I played 11 seasons of professional cricket. 
I'm a trained physiotherapist, but I only became a physiotherapist because my dad said to me, you cannot become a professional cricketer until you get a degree. So I went to university and I went, what shall I study? Medicine. <laughs> and then after six months, I changed to physio, so that's why I'm a trained physiotherapist. Nothing to do with purpose. I love my dad, but there was no counsel in that. You know, I wish when I was your age, people helped us more to decide what we become. Um, but here I was, deep into my 30s, on the 1st of June, and I discovered my purpose. And you know what? For the older folk, it's never too late. You can discover your purpose at 70, and you can still live it. You must just hurry up, okay? <laughs> but you can still do it. Okay, so it's never too late, as long as, as, long as we walk, walk where we have to go. So, so, 1st of June, I thought, okay, great, now I can make faith like potatoes. But it took four years. I learned the first lesson in following your dreams and living your purpose. Even you, if you're in God's will, and even if you're walking your purpose, it doesn't mean to say things are going to be easy. In fact, it will be difficult. That is life. All of life is difficult. There's no such thing as an easy dream. And the more God is involved, the bigger the dream, the harder it will be. The more impossible it will look. Four years later, after having flown to Hollywood, after having flown to England, after having flown all over South Africa to look for money to make this movie, because I wasn't qualified to make movies, I, I hired a guy called Richard van der Berg, who's a film director. I said to him, Reg, if you direct the movie, I'll produce the movie. Um, and then I will learn how to direct. And so after, two, after I made two movies, I'm now directing my own movies. But I said to Reg, you direct, I'll produce, which means I also have to go look for the money. It's only 10 million rand. How hard can that be? <laughs> so I flew to Hollywood with a screenplay in my hands, arrived there, got the number of the six biggest studios. I called all of them, and of course, none would see me. Eventually, by about the fourth phone call I make, the guy was kind enough to speak back. You know, he says, what did you say your name was? Franz Kronier. Okay, so he eventually gave up trying to pronounce it. He said, what is the movie called? Faith Like Potatoes. And he was like, eventually kind of remembered Faith Like a Tomato or something like that. But he said, where are you, where are you from? I said, South Africa. Said, is, is that in Texas? He said, <laughs> And, and even traveling through South Africa, I had to first explain to people who Angus Buchan is. People didn't know him back then. I said, this is a great story. This is going to change lives. And you know what? Eventually, four years down the line, we got to December 2005. And I'm not going to stop there today because I don't have time. But something happened, and I knew God was saying to me, now is the time. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. That word substance is the same word that means title deed. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. God had given me faith like potatoes and he was saying to me, now go make it. I have already given you the movie. Like he said to Israel, he said to Joshua, go over the Jordan because I've already given you the promised land. I'm not, I won't, it's not that I will give it to you, I have given it to you. All you have to do is walk across and take it. And I said, yes, thank you, Lord. So I found Rechart in January, said, Reg, the 21st of March, 2006, we're going to start filming the movie. He said, yes, I'm in. 
So we got the crew. Frank Rotenbach, the main actor, flew from Hollywood. He was on board. He was the main actor. Everybody was on Angus's farm, Shalom. Two days beforehand, I was still sitting in my Durbanville office, and we had zero money in the bank. Ten million rand movie. So I called Angus. I said, Angus, we have a problem. None of those investors who said they can invest have put any money in. There's no money in the bank. Everybody is already on the farm. We need a million rand per week to film this movie. We need half a million rand just for the deposit for the light. Shall I cancel? Shall we pause? What shall we do, Angus? He said, no, but if you look behind you, you'll see that the boat is already sunk. You're walking on water. Keep walking. I don't know if you've heard Angus speak. He says it a bit louder, but that's what he says. Okay. <laughs> but he said, but call those people that need to send the lights. Explain our situation and tell them if they're kind enough to send us the lights, we'll pay them as soon as we get the money. So I did that. I called the guys here in Joburg. I said, listen, can you send us the lights? We're going to get the money. I didn't say by faith. I just said, we're going to get the money. I left the by faith part out. And we'll pay you as soon as, like, they must have thought, like, kind of tomorrow. Okay, yes. So they, they agreed. They sent us the lights. I put the phone down, and I sat alone in my office, and I pr prayed the most useless prayer. I said, Lord, if I hear wrong, please stop me. But I promise you I will never quit. I won't quit, even if it looks as impossible as walking through this brick wall and you want me to walk, I'll walk. I won't quit, but stop me if I'm not in your will anymore. Amen. And I, as I said, amen, the phone rang again, and it was Dave Harper, a farmer who farms halfway between Birmingham and Worcester, the town of Worcester, not Worcester in Ekaap, Worcester in England. Halfway, he's got a farm called the Top Barn Farm. And he said, Franz, me and my friend, who's also a farmer, Andy Mayhew, prayed about it. We want to invest in your movie. We're sending you half a million rand. That was immediate answer to prayer. We paid for the lights straight away, like we promised. Well, we had to wait for the money to clear. But as soon as the money cleared, we paid, okay? And I said, yes, Lord, if it's going to be as simple as that, it's going to be a cakewalk. <laughs> but you know what happened? Every Friday, Friday afternoon at 3.29, when, when do the banks close? 3.30, okay? Every Friday at 3.29, God gave us money. <laughs> Never before that. We stayed in a guest house in Greytown. And when you're filming, you, you get up early. So we kind of like have breakfast at 5 a.m. So by 4, I was up praying. And I couldn't pray sitting or on my knees anymore. I was like lying on my face. And my wife got up not knowing I'm praying. And she tripped over me. And she saw me there. And she got such a fright, she thought I had a heart attack. Said, no, 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 don't mind me. I'm just praying. <laughs> it was that stressful. We prayed and we prayed. And... And you know what? By faith, we finished the movie. And I sent it to Starkinikor, and they said, yeah, it looks okay for a South African movie. We think um, we'll give you five screens. I said, what? They said, no, no, no South Africans watch South African movies, and Christian movies don't do well. That was, this was in 2006, and it was true. 
at the stats were that 15,000 people at the most would see your movie in South Africa and you'll sell 2,000 DVDs in a, life, in a lifetime. I said, listen, if I do the distribution myself instead of you, would you be willing to give me 15 screens? Please. And they said, yes. And I said, if we do well in that first week, will you give me more screens? Because I knew there were 35 screens that I could be countrywide because we were the first digital movie in South Africa that went out. And, and um, they said, yes. And I said, so what? Let's define what is good. I thought they're going to say, you need to have 100,000 people in cinema or something. They said, no, if you get 10,000 people there, you're fine. So I said, okay, deal, deal. Two days before our release, an SMS went viral in South Africa. That was before WhatsApp. The SMS went viral in South Africa. <laughs> it said, if you don't support this Christian movie, Faith Like Potatoes, then it'll only be in cinema for one week, so please support it. And the cinemas were booked out. Today, 12 years down the line, over 400 million people have seen the movie in 17 languages, and we've sold 4 million DVDs. And that is only God. That's no one else. That's God who did it. And you know what? The journey continues. Um, a, a year or two later, we made a second movie. Halfway through the movie, the funding fell flat. I was, for all technical purposes, bankrupt. It was the recession. The guys who were supposed to fund it out of Hollywood couldn't supply the funding. But we continued. We made a plan. After that, because we had no money, because we didn't have work, we made a third movie called Barudir. It was a movie about the recession. We made the movie with no money. We just talked our friends into giving us some of their time and their buckies and their whatever. And we acted in the movie because we couldn't pay actors. We acted ourselves, which was great because then I acted for the first time. And just after that, I made another movie called Born to Win. And just after that, we made a movie. Oh, I acted in the movie first. And now we made a movie called The Roar, a movie about purpose. Because I've got a real passion for purpose. But you know what happened was, I never went to university, to university studying film at all. But God asked me to make movies and tell stories. And Angus's wife, Jill, still a week before we started filming, sent me a word saying that in the same way that God anointed the people who had to build the articles for the tabernacle um, or the ark or what, you know, that, that when they were in the desert, God supernaturally anointed those people to make those articles. He's going to anoint you to make the movie. And I said, thank you, Jill. And I continue to walk with that word in mind, knowing that I don't know anything about movie making. We're up against the odds, and there was no money. And as we walked, God provided. Um, and I want to encourage you with that same thing. Find your purpose. And when you've prayed about it, when you've got that peace that, that you know your purpose, then, then step into it and do it. How do you discover your purpose? Just the summary for me, because it's a difficult thing. Some people are born knowing their purpose, but for most of us, we have to discover our purpose. And it's, sometimes it's early in your life, and sometimes it's a little bit later. But for me, there were four very clear steps that were important. So very quickly, here they are. The first one is ask God, okay? He created you for a purpose, with a purpose, with a destiny. And because he created you, he wants you to be successful. He doesn't want you to be, to, to be a failure. So ask him what your purpose is. Secondly, 
you need to figure out what your specific talents are. What are those things that are your specific talents that make you unique? You are different from the person sitting next to you because you've got a different set of talents. Even, even identical twins are different from each other. Okay, so what are your talents? When you discover your talents, you know what you have to do. The third thing, figure out your passion. I was in Germany four years ago, and I discovered that the German word for passion is Leidenschaft. Leidenschaft means suffering ship when you translate it into, into English. What are you willing to suffer for? Passion in German is suffering ship. What was Jesus' passion? To die for us so that we could have life. That puts the movie, The Passion, that was made by Mel Gibson in totally different light, hey? We speak so easily about passion. I've got a passion for rugby. I've got a passion for cricket. No, you're not willing to die for that. <laughs> what is your Leidenschaft? Do you know your Leidenschaft? Do you know your suffering ship? When you discover your passion, your true passion, you will know where to apply your talent. Okay, talents help you with what? Passion helps you with where. Do you have a passion for children? Do you have a passion for worship? Do you have a passion... For, for preaching the word? Do you have a passion for community transformation or for business? Um, in our movie, The Raw, the, the lead character, is, her name is Louise, she tries to discover her purpose. She believes that she wants to be a Broadway star, but her dad is a stubborn game ranger, played by me. I'm not that stubborn, but in the movie, we had to be stubborn. You'll see now. I'll play the trailer. But she wants to be a Broadway star, and she has to fight with this. Isn't it selfish to be a Broadway star? No, it's not. If that's where God wants you to be, then it's worship. It's as much worship as singing is when, when you are where God wants you to be. So when you're a school teacher and that's where God wants you to be, you are worshiping God. The last one is your personality. Your personality is different from the person sitting next to you, and that helps you to, to discover how to live out your purpose. I recently met a guy who's a mathematical genius, and he said when he finished school, everybody told him he needs to become a professor to teach math. And he said, no, I can't, because I cannot stand in front of people. I'm too scared. So he became the guy who wrote the manual for the professors and the teachers. He realized what his personality was. So you need to also figure out your personality. Now, apparently in this church, personalities are done through colors. Is that right, Gideon? Okay. I don't know what color I am. Have you seen the movie Divergent? I'm kind of divergent. I'm kind of all of the above. <laughs> I can be a chameleon if I have to be. <laughs> but figure out your personality. Okay. So then that helps you to discover your purpose. All right. So for, so for us, to, in order to, to ignite the flame of purpose, we release the movie the Raw. I really do encourage you to watch the movie. It's a, it's a great movie. It's great fun. There's good music in it. But most of all, it's a life-changing movie. It would help you to, to be excited enough to start or continue your life journey. All right. So here's the closing, the closing off. There's so many other things I'd like to tell you tonight, but it's just too short. So the most important thing in this journey I think you're a fantastic group, by the way. I've so enjoyed it tonight. You're so responsive. I feel Jesus here. 
It feels like that day in my bucky, I can feel Jesus here. But you know, most of all, you are his ambassadors. I feel Jesus through you. I feel Jesus through the guys and girls who took me for late lunch this afternoon and prayed with me before, before I came here. It really is tremendous. Today has built up my own spirit. I, I came here fairly tired, not burnt out like I was in the 2002, but fairly tired, and I'm going home rejuvenated because we're making the movie of the Samaritan woman that Jesus spoke to at Jacob's well later this year, and we're still looking for funding, so we're busy in that process. That's the hardest part of movie making, is finding that money, and it's not going to take us seven years again like we did with Faith Like Potatoes, but we want to film that movie later this year, and we're working hard on it. Okay, so it's up there. At, no, at, at Global Creative Films, not at Creative Films, Global Creative Films, okay? And it's .com, not .coza. <laughs> Are you guys also from the Free State? <laughs> okay. Um, so, but here's, here's the thing I want to leave you in the end. Okay, here's the last thing. Life is difficult. Okay, remember that. If you can make peace with that, you're going to have a wonderful life. It's going to be joyous, easy, <laughs> but life is difficult. Expect challenges. Don't fall apart when they happen. Expect people to hurt you. Don't fall apart when it happens. But what do you do when people hurt you? You act in the opposite spirit. Okay. I had a wonderful mentor. He was also ca captain of the South African cricket team, Trevor Goddard. He always said to me, act in the opposite spirit. Okay, that's what we do. But most of all, don't give up. You know that prayer I prayed in 2006 when we filmed Faith Like Potatoes? Lord, I'll never quit. It's still true. Life is so difficult. Sometimes I even cry. Yes, I'm from the free state, and yes, I'm a guy, but I also cry. Out of frustration when things don't go well and when it's like the 10th thing that goes wrong. Um, last night, the last thing that happened was I pushed my coffee plunger off the kitchen table and it broke. <laughs> and I wanted coffee. <laughs> Just before bedtime. But, um, but don't give up. Okay, don't ever give up. God gave you your purpose and he wants you to succeed. He's your biggest cheerleader. He's your biggest cheerleader. Okay. The scripture is Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31. You all know this. This is from the Amplified Bible. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become tired or grow weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who has no might, he increases power. Even youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect, who look for, and hope in him, will gain new strength. And renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles rising towards the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. That is the word for you in your journey. I'm going to leave you with one video clip. Okay, this is the last video clip. And after, I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to speak again after that. But I'm going to be around. So if you want to speak to me afterwards, please, I'm here or to any of the leadership to pray with you. I'm going to leave you with this video from a movie that's just as old as Faith Like Potatoes. It's called Facing the Giants. It's an American football movie. And this schoolboy team kept on losing. 
They were so poor. They were so bad. And, and this scene from there is a scene where they're going to face the team called the Giants on Friday night. And their most influential player on the team, Brock, had already given it up as a loss. And this scene, the coach in the scene represents God. He represents Jesus. He's cheering us on. Brock in this movie is you, okay? Because you are influential and you're a leader, every one of you. And, and God wants to cheer you on like he did Brock in this movie. Okay, I love you all. And I pray that God reveals his purpose for you and that you go out there. And remember one last thing about your purpose. If your purpose is not serving the people around you, then it's selfish ambition, then it's not purpose. Okay, your purpose needs to serve people.